We're in Daniel chapter 2, verses 31 through 49. Daniel 2, verses 31 through 49. Daniel now is interpreting the dream for King Nebuchadnezzar. He says, You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, and into whose hand he has given wherever they dwell the children of man, the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens, making you ruler over them all. You are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom, but some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together just as iron does not mix with clay." And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, and silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is sure." Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering, an incense, be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts, and he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon." Daniel made a request of the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. Now, if you're with us in our previous studies, you know that King Nebuchadnezzar had this vision, this dream at night, and it bothered him so much, and he wanted to know what the interpretation was, and so he asked all of his wise men to come tell him what it was, and they said, tell us the dream, and we'll give you the interpretation. He said, no, the way I'll know that you're not making something up is you got to tell me what the dream was and then give me the interpretation. And once you tell me the dream I had, then I'll know for sure that you have the correct interpretation. And uh, they're like, nobody's able to do that. No human being can do that. And as they're about to have them all killed, he was about to have them all killed, word got to Daniel, who was a young boy, as you know, and one of the just finished his three years of training there in, in uh, Babylon to become working for the King Nebuchadnezzar. He had been taken captive along with Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, we know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from our Bible stories as children. When word got to them, Daniel was like, what's the big deal? Why is he wanting us all killed? The guy that was going to kill him told him, and he said, you don't go tell the king 
that uh, I would like to uh, have a chance to interpret it for him and tell him the dream. And then he quickly goes and gets his three friends, and they start praying. And they say, God, help. And then God gives them the interpretation, gives them what the dream is and the interpretation. By the way, imagine yourself being put in, in King Nebuchadnezzar's shoes as Daniel starts to speak. And he said, you saw an image. Oh, and it wasn't just an image. It was an amazingly terrifying image. And its head was of gold, and its chest and arms were of silver, and its thighs were of bronze, and its legs. And then he starts laying out how this stone cut by no human hand comes out of this mountain and touches, destroys the feet and topples the image. Can you imagine Nebuchadnezzar sitting there going, how in the world did he know that? And then when he gives him the interpretation, which we're going to begin to get into tonight, he had to go, okay, wow, that's pretty impressive. Now let me just say this real quick. At the end of our passage, Nebuchadnezzar says, your God's the God of gods, the king of kings, and all that stuff. How long does that last? If you know your Bible stories, if you know what's going to happen next, Nebuchadnezzar makes an image of all gold and says, you've got to bow down to it. And if you don't bow down to that image that I've made, and of course we're going to get into that when we get in there next week, but I just want to just say that to you. Don't think you're a whole lot different from Nebuchadnezzar. Thank God we got his spirit. Thank God we're forgiven to those of us who have trusted him as our savior. But we still have that problem within us as well. There have been many times throughout your life where you've had an experience where God reveals himself in a way that only you understand and nobody else could touch. And you sat there and say, I'll never doubt again. And we've all had those times when we were great, of great men and women of faith, and then we faltered a little bit. Let's, folks, that daily reminding ourselves of the fact that he's God and we're not is a good thing for all of us. So God's purpose, as we shall see in the next chapters, is not just to only reveal himself to Nebuchadnezzar, but also to show him his pride and to humble him, to show him that God alone is to be worshipped. Now, like I just touched on, King Nebuchadnezzar saw in his dream a mighty image whose head was made of gold, its chest and arms were made of silver, its middle and thighs were made of bronze, it had legs of iron, and its feet were made partly of iron and clay. Then in his dream the king saw a stone being cut, by not, but not by a human hand, and that stone struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke the feet in pieces. Then the whole image was broken in pieces by that stone, and the wind blew them all away so that there was nothing left of that whole image but the stone. Then in his dream, the stone becomes a mighty mountain and fills the whole earth. Then Daniel moves on to the interpretation, which we've already just read in verses 36 through 45. Now, look closely, though, at verse 36. As Daniel begins his interpretation of the dream, note what he says. Look what he says there in verse 36. He says, this was the dream, and now we will tell the king its interpretation. Isn't that interesting? Daniel doesn't say, I'm going to tell you the interpretation. He says, we're going to give you the interpretation. Now, there's a couple possibilities as to why he says we here instead of I. And to be honest with you, both possibilities are probably true. They can both be right at the same time. The first one is this. We know this from what we looked at already. Daniel is wanting to make very, very clear to the king that he's not the one that's giving the interpretation, but that it's God who's empowering him to know the dream and its interpretation. We've already seen that earlier in our study, how when the king says, are you able to do this? And he says, no one's able to do that, but there is a God in heaven. So one of the reasons why he could have said we was to make very, very clear that even though the words were coming out of Daniel's mouth, it was God who was empowering him. All right. 
But there's also another possibility that I kind of see here. As we read earlier, Daniel had asked his three Jewish friends to join him in praying for God's wisdom in this matter. Go back to chapter 2 and look at verses 17 through 19. In chapter 2, verse 17 through 19, Then Daniel went to his house, and he made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. And he told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. And then, of course, Daniel praises God and gives him glory for, for giving the vision. But Daniel had already involved Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah to pray with him about this. And that actually parallels with, look at again at verses 46 through 49 of the passage we're looking at tonight. Look at 46 through 49. After the interpretation, the king Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering of incense be offered to him. King answered and said to Daniel, truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you've been able to reveal this mystery. The king gives Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over the wise men of Babylon. But Daniel makes a request to the king, and he also appoints Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. So here we see that a possibility is, is that we was, it's not me, but God through me. Yet at the same time, it also could be the we is tied to the fact that his friends were involved in this, and he wanted them to get some recognition because they were young men of God as well, which you're going to see next chapter in chapter 3 with the image of gold. You're going to see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, showing how much they have a faith in God as well. Now, Daniel then tells the king that he is the one that's represented, or his kingdom is the one represented by the head of gold. He said, you saw this image, and its head was of gold. You are that head of gold. Now, after him, he says, his Babylonian kingdom will come, will come, after his Babylonian kingdom will come a lesser kingdom, then another lesser one, then another one of iron, which conquers with power, and then one more world power will arise that is divided, but will have vestiges of the Iron Kingdom. And look closely at verse 44 of chapter 2. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand Forever. So it is in the days of those kings, the kings that are represented by the ten toes, if you will, of this statue. In the days of those kings is when God's going to set up his eternal kingdom. Now, we're going to come back to that a lot tonight. And you'll see how valuable this is. I can't wait to show you what God showed me in our, my study. As you know, if some of you may or may not know, prophecy is one of my absolute favorite, favorite, favorite things. It's something I've been studying for 25 years. And I could quote to you prophecy upon prophecy, and I love it. But in all my years of study in prophecy, in my study for tonight's study, God showed me something here in chapter 2 that's going to parallel later on with Revelation 17 that I've never seen before how it all comes together, and I can't wait to show you. So make a little note, Daniel chapter 2, verse 44. That's going to be key. In the days of those kings, that's when the kingdom is ultimately going to be set up by Jesus. All right? We'll come back to that. Now, what we're going to do tonight is we're going to take some time to look at some, not all, of the scriptures and what they have to say about the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon and the coming kingdoms culminated by God's kingdom on the earth. We're going to take that interpretation of the dream and we're going to start showing you some of what the scripture has to say about what is to come during Babylonian time, then the Medes and the Persians and the Greece and then Rome. Then there's going to be a break I'm going to show you tonight in the prophecy and then there's going to be one more world kingdom that's going to be set up 
right before Jesus comes back. So we'll get into all that. We're going to look at a lot. So get your paper out, get your pen out. But at the same time, we won't even come close to looking at all of it. All right. But don't worry, you're going to see a lot of it in our study of Daniel. It's covered in great detail. So I can't wait till we get there. All right. So six years before Nebuchadnezzar's dream, God spoke through the prophet Jeremiah saying that he would give lands into the hand and the power of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. You remember, remember Daniel 2, talks where Daniel said God's the one who puts people in power and takes them out. He raises up kings and he puts them down. We already looked at that. Go with me back to Jeremiah chapter 27. This is six years. This prophecy came from God through Jeremiah six years before Nebuchadnezzar had his dream. In Jeremiah 27... Look at verses 1 through 7. It says, In the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, the king of Judah, this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Thus the Lord said to me, Make yourself straps and yoke bars and put them on your neck. Send word to the king of Edom, the king of Moab, the king of the sons of Ammon, the king of Tyre, and the king of Sidon by the hand of the envoys who have come to Jerusalem, to Zedekiah, the king of Judah, Give them this charge for their masters. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. This is what you shall say to your masters. It is I who by my great power and my outstretched arm have made the earth with the men and animals that are on the earth. And I give it to whomever it seems right to me. Now I have given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. And I have given him also the beasts of the field to serve him. All the nations shall serve him and his son and his grandson. That's important. You'll see that later in our study of Daniel. Until the time of his own land comes, then many nations and great kings shall make him their slave. Do you see what God said six years before Nebuchadnezzar's dream? He says to the king of Judah, the last king of the nation of Israel at that time, before they went into captivity finally. And he says to all these other kings of Ammon and Moab and all the other lands around, he says, I... I'm the one who made everything. I made all the land and the people and the animals, and I control it how I want, and I give it the power to whoever I want. And I've decided that I'm going to give all of the lands that I've just mentioned and control of this whole earth for a season of time to King Nebuchadnezzar. And he's going to be in power, and then his son, his grandson, and then after that, he's going to be conquered, and another nation is going to be in power. Go to Jeremiah 28. Look at verse 14. Jeremiah chapter 28, verse 14. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, I have put upon the neck of all these nations an iron yoke to serve Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and they shall serve him. For I have given to him even the beasts of the field. So God had already said prior to Nebuchadnezzar's dream that he was going to give all this to, to Nebuchadnezzar. What happens, as you know, to the nation of Israel in that time period of Zedekiah being the king? Who came in and conquered him in 605 B.C. ultimately? Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar. He carries them off out of the land. That's when Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego all went in there. All, and, you know, Ezekiel was taken captive during that time as well. Jeremiah was left in the land of Israel for the few that were left back there to be a prophet to them. But just like God had said, he's the one that came into power. And so Daniel tells him, you, you saw this image and its head was of gold. That's you and your kingdom. But after you, 
Actually, let me give you one more. Then we'll get to after him. Go to Ezekiel 26. In Ezekiel 26, 15 years after Nebuchadnezzar's dream, God said this in Ezekiel 26 through the prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel 26, verse 7. Just one, one verse. In Ezekiel chapter 26, verse 7, again, this is 15 years now being prophesied, 15 years after the dream. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will bring against Tyre from the north Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, king of kings, with horses and chariots and with horsemen and a host of many soldiers. Now, I bring this out for a reason. What is Nebuchadnezzar called by God at this time? King of kings. Small K for sure, but still God put him in power and allowed him to be in power over the whole globe, if you will, or all that existed at that time, as we know, he pretty much controlled the earth at that point. God did it. But then it comes a point where God says, okay, now I'm going to do something else, and there's going to be another kingdom after you, a lesser one. This one's not going to be of gold. It's going to be silver, if you will. It's the chest and arms, as you know, were of silver. After Babylon's empire will come a lesser kingdom, not in size, because it was actually comprised of two kingdoms combined, and it but it lacked inner unity. This is the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. Actually, if you know anything about the book of Daniel, you'll know that Daniel's working for Nebuchadnezzar for a while. Then after a while, you're reading in the study and he's working for the king of the Medes and the Persians. That's because during Daniel's time there, Nebuchadnezzar's time comes to an end and what God said in the prophecy about how there's going to be this one kingdom and then a lesser kingdom. Go to Daniel chapter 5. Look at verses 18 through 28. Again, we're just hitting this quickly. And briefly, because we're going to get into it in much more detail as we continue on in our study of Daniel. But let me just kind of lay a foundation for you tonight. Daniel chapter 5, look at verses 18 through 28. This is during the, the time when there was the writing on the wall. And this is Belshazzar, which is Nebuchadnezzar's son. O king, the Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed, and whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up, and whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne, and his glory was taken from him. By the way, this is when he was caused to act like, live like an animal for seven years. We'll get to that in our study as well. He was driven from among the children of mankind, and his mind was made like that of a beast, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox. His body was wet with the dew of heaven, until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you, and your lords, and your wives, and your concubines, and you've drunk wine from them, and you have praised the gods of silver, and gold, and of bronze, and iron, and wood, and stone, which do not see, or hear, or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath, and in whose you are, are all your ways, you have not honored. Then from his presence the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed, and this is the writing that was inscribed, many, many, tekel, and parson. This is the interpretation of the matter, many, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. 
Remember how Nebuchadnezzar was told, you're the head of gold, and after you is going to come a lesser kingdom? It's going to have a chest of silver and arms. Here it begins. At this point, when we get to this part of Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom comes to an end, and the Medes and the Persians take control. Now, after the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians, there would come the next world power, which if you know anything of world history, is Greece. And that's represented by the thigh and the middle section in the thighs of bronze. Now, we're not going to go into very much detail about the kingdom of Greece tonight, because Alexander the Great's kingdom will be dealt with in much, much detail later in our study of Daniel. We're going to really get into a study. We're going to get into some things historically about Alexander the Great that is prophesied in Daniel, that it goes into such amazing detail. Even people that are not Bible people will go, how in the world did they know that? It's crazy. But let me just give you a hint. Go to Daniel chapter 8. Look at verses 20 and 21. Daniel chapter 8, verses 20 and 21. As for the ram that you saw with the two horns, these are the kings of Media and Persia. And the goat is the king of Greece. And the great horn between his eyes is the first king. And then it goes on to further detail. So as you can see, God's using Daniel quite a bit to interpret all these dreams and visions that he's giving. He's showing these guys what's to come. And Daniel comes and gives the interpretation. So we got the kingdom of Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar. Then comes the Medes and the Persians. Then comes what? Greece. Does anybody know what kingdom came after that? The, one, the legs of iron? Rome. That's Rome. Next kingdom seen in the dream was the Roman Empire, the legs of iron. This was the world power when Jesus actually came to the earth the first time. And some form of it will exist when Jesus comes again to set up his kingdom. That's why we see that the feet were made up some of iron and some of clay. We're going to get into that a little bit tonight, a lot more later on. Again, tonight is just a foundational, get this in your head, get ready when you study prophecy, if you understand that God has times and seasons that he's already prophesied, we call them dispensations, if you will. If you know that and you know what the different dispensations are going to be in God's timetable, as you study prophecy, you can say, oh, that fits here and that fits there. And that's what I'm doing for you right now. I just want to lay you a foundation from this dream. D Daniel, God through Daniel is telling Nebuchadnezzar, you're going to be the one world power and God's given you the, that opportunity. But after you is going to come another one world power. Then after that's going to come another one world power. And then there's going to come another one world power. And as I really believe, and, and I'll show you here, there's a break in this prophecy, just like there'll be one in Daniel's prophecy in chapter 9 about the 77s for Israel. If you know anything about Daniel's prophecy, we're not going to go there tonight. But in Daniel 9, when he's given the vision of the 77s that are decreed for Israel in the city of Jerusalem, if you know anything about that prophecy, it's very, very specific that the prophecy says from this point until this point, there's going to be so many days and so many years. And literally, he gives the prophecy to the day that Jesus rides a donkey into Jerusalem. We'll get into all that when we get to chapter 9 in Daniel. But then there's a break from that point in the prophecy, and he's told about a one seven-year period that's still going to come. But there's a break in the prophecy, and I believe that there's a break in this prophecy in the same place that there's a break in Daniel's prophecy. A lot of Bible scholars tried to say, well, ever since the Roman Empire, the one world government has been kind of come United States and, and European Union and nations are. Now, listen closely, folks. There's been no one world power. Who, who conquered Rome? If you know anything about history, nobody did. They disintegrated from within. Individual nations started taking advantage of all that. And the Roman Empire kind of fizzled out. 
But no nation came and took over the world and conquered Rome. They were kind of just put on hold, if you will. There's really not been a one world power. But there will be. Because I think if you remember from Daniel chapter 2, uh, he said, the interpretation is sure. Do you remember earlier, Daniel chapter 2, verse 44? Does anybody remember what it said again? Remember, I told you to not mark it down. In the days of those kings, remember, there's going to be another kingdom, partly of iron, partly of clay. And the ten toes represent ten kings. In the days of those kings, there's going to be the time that Jesus comes and sets up his kingdom. The Bible prophesies, as we're going to see a little bit tonight, and a lot more later on, that there's going to be a future world kingdom made up of ten kings, but ultimately ruled by one man. We know him as the Antichrist. This is the coming kingdom made up of iron and clay. Go to Revelation chapter 17. Revelation 17, look at verses 12 through 14. Revelation chapter 17, verse 12. And then the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power, but they are to receive authority as kings for one hour or one time period, a short time period, together with the beast. These are of one mind, and they hand over their power and their authority to the beast. They will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them, for He is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those with Him are called chosen and faithful. Did you catch that? Does anybody know roughly what year John wrote the book of Revelation? Around 95. Around 95 A.D. This is 95 A.D. If you know anything about the history of Rome and the nation of Israel... Rome's kind of coming to an end around this time. They're still in some power at the time that John writes this. That's why he's in prison there on the Isle of Patmos. But the, the, nation, uh, the kingdom of, of Rome is starting to disintegrate a little bit. But the church age, age has begun. And during that time, John is told about this coming world kingdom made up of ten kings, but really ruled by one, whom this beast that they're going to hand the power over to and it says, in the days of those kings, we saw that in Daniel 2, 44, right? What does Revelation say in 95 AD? Had they received their power yet? So that means the kingdom, ultimately, even though, as we'll touch on later tonight, it's here in some form or fashion. But the kingdom of Jesus being set up on the earth hasn't happened yet. It has to be future because in the days of those kings is when he's going to set up his kingdom. And Revelation tells us that he, they haven't received their kingdom yet. But they will. Go to Revelation 13. Let me introduce you real quickly to the beast. Revelation 13, verses 1 through 10. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. This is going to be important. Keep this in mind. It's like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. We've already known from our study of Revelation the dragon is Satan. 
And one of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and was allowed to exercise authority for how long? Forty-two months. By the way, that's three and a half years. Remember that. We remember from our study of uh, Revelation earlier, and we'll get into it more in our study of Daniel. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming His name and His dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. And it also was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. By the way, this is the tribulation saints. The church won't be here at this time. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on earth will worship everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone is in the ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with a sword, with a sword he must be slain. Here is the call for endurance and the faith of the saints. So again, this beast, this Antichrist, this one world power that's made up of ten kings is going to be given authority over what? Every nation, people, language. There is a coming one world government, folks. And if you know anything about politics now, you know anything about what's going on, you know how the world's been trying to make a one world government and how we try to unify. If we can just unify the Americas and then we can unify here and, and you got the European Union and all this stuff and people get all, they start counting how many nations are in the European Union and then, then England Brexits and now it throws our math off. And let me just tell you, stop trying to figure it out. It's just going to happen. Okay. Believe that it's going to happen because if everything that we're going to see in our study of Daniel in the gold and the silver and the bronze and the legs of iron all literally happened like the prophecy said they would. And you'll see when we get to Daniel, those parts of it, the prophecies are so literal, so specific. People are like, there's, there's no way that Daniel could know how that was all going to be. And that's because Daniel didn't. God did. God sees it all. And that means, I want you to hear me, if it's all going to, if it all happened that literally, that specifically, as you're going to see later in our study of Daniel, then what the Bible says is to come still here in the book of Revelation is going to happen. It's going to happen. That's why we need to know and to be at peace. Because when it does, who's doing it? God is. And he has his reasons and his purposes. Now much more on this when we get to our later chapters of Daniel. I have done my best to not start preaching all that prophecy, and I didn't. What I want to do is spend the rest of our time tonight looking at the stone. The stone is Jesus. Remember the stone in the, the dream was not cut out by human hands? By the way, that just hints at the virgin birth. That hints at the virgin birth. You do realize that Jesus was a man, but he wasn't created by man. Go with me to Luke chapter 1. Go to Luke chapter 1. Let's take a look again now. All of these passages we've known for years are going to all of a sudden make so much more sense when you understand prophecy. In Luke chapter 1, look at verses 26 through 35. In Luke 1 verse 26, In the sixth month the, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and he said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. 
And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. He wasn't made by human hand, or human will, or human sperm. He was put inside of Mary by God himself. Go to John chapter 1. Look at verses 1 through 3 and then 14 through 18. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Jump down to verse 14. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now John, John the Baptist, bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Listen to verse 18. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Isn't that interesting? Hang on for a second. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. Yet that word became flesh. And by the way, the word, nothing in the world was made that wasn't made by him. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 goes on and says everything that was made was made by Jesus. But the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And no one's ever seen God, but the God, the one God who's at the Father's side has made the Father known. All along, the Bible said very clearly that there's been one God, but He's always manifested Himself in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, the Son took on flesh, and He was, God Himself put Jesus inside of Mary. He wasn't cut out by human hands. Jesus is not a man, folks. Too many people think Jesus was just a man. Mm -mm. And He didn't even leave us that option. Because while He was on the earth, and you can double-check me, He said many times, I'm God. And he even said, I can forgive your sins. Once a man, anybody says, I'm God and I can forgive your sins, you now have to decide, is this guy telling the truth or is he crazy or, or is he a liar? We all have to make a decision about Jesus Christ and what we decide, but he wasn't cut out by human hands. Go to Daniel chapter 7, look at verses 13 and 14. Go back to Daniel, look at chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. As you've already seen, I keep jumping back and forth to all different parts of Daniel. It's going to be a fun, fun study, folks. Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Daniel says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him, the son of man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. By the way, what happened to Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom? 
It came to an end. What happened to the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians? Came to an end. What happened to the kingdom of Greece and Alexander the Great? Came to an end. And by the way, they're going to prophesy specifically how it comes to an end with his four sons and generals. And it's going to be crazy. What happened to the kingdom of Rome? Came to an end. Oh, it's going to be revived in the last days in some form. It's going to be mixed with another king type of a kingdom. It's going to be made up of ten kings. We'll let the Lord show us what that is. We're going to try to figure it out. But during the days of those kings, when the Roman Empire is revived, when there's a one world government again, and I believe that a lot of things all show that the church will be gone at this time. There's going to come the one, the stone, that was not cut by human hands. And he's going to come and he's going to destroy that last kingdom of man on the earth. And he's going to set up his kingdom on this earth that will never be destroyed. Go to Isaiah chapter 28. This stone, by the way, has been hinted at and prophesied about all through the Old Testament. Go to Psalm, uh, sorry, Isaiah 28. Look at verse 16. Isaiah 28, verse 16. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who has laid a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. By the way, this was written before Daniel. Go to Psalm 118. Something God said through David, I believe. Psalm 118, verses 19 through 29. Again, many, many years before Daniel's time. Psalm 118, verses 19 through 29. Psalm 118, verse 19. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. Sorry, yeah, that's right. Give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with the cords upon the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Here, I believe, is a prophecy, which we'll get to later on. We don't have time tonight. We're going to talk about the entrance of Jesus as he sets up his kingdom. And what's going to be actually, what was said when he rode into Jerusalem that first time, if you were at any church that had a Palm Sunday kind of a message Sunday, you heard this passage probably. And but as you know, the people that cried, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, changed their mind just a few days later. But ultimately, this is going to be fulfilled when Jesus himself comes into Jerusalem and sets up his kingdom. Oh, look at what it says in the midst of that prophecy. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. Go to Romans chapter 9. Look at verse 33. Romans 9, verse 33. As it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. 
By the way, you're being warned if you're here tonight and you don't believe. You're being given a blessing, an opportunity to believe in Jesus Christ. Don't reject it. Go to Luke chapter 20. Luke chapter 20. If you know anything about what went on in that section of John that I skipped over, I read to you from John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, and jump down to verse 14 to 18. In the middle of those verses, it says, He came to His own, His people, the of the Jews, and His own did not receive Him. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children, children of God. Listen to Luke chapter 20, verses 17 and 18. Jesus is on the earth in His first coming, and He's talking to the Jews in Luke 20, verses 17 and 18. But he looked directly at them and he said, What then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Listen to what Jesus said. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Go to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Look at verses 4 through 12. First Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 12. As you come to him, a living, what? Stone. Rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Now they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that he, you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles in this world to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. When? On the day of his what? On the day of his visitation. There is a coming kingdom of God. On the earth. And who is going to be the one who sets that kingdom up? Well, the Bible says his name is the stone. The stone that was rejected by Israel, but he's become, going to become the cornerstone. And those of us who believe in him, we become a part of that building that he's building, if you will. And one day he's going to come back to this earth and set up his kingdom. And the Bible says we're going to come back with him. But it's not quite time yet. We're in that time period that's the break in the prophecy time period where there is no one world power, but there's going to be. We're in that time that he had prophesied about that there's going to be the time of the Gentiles and the church age. All, I don't have time to get into it at night, but the prophecies all hinted at the fact that he was setting it all up, putting it all in motion, and he knew the Jews were going to reject him, and he was going to be killed on the cross and rise from the dead. All that was setting the stage for what's to come. Much more than that, of course. And during this time period, from when he died for our sins and rose from the dead, he ascended back to the Father until the time for restoring all the things that the prophets said. That's prophesied by Peter in Acts chapter 2, verses 17 and falling in that area there. Uh, listen closely, though. When Jesus comes back, he's going to set up his kingdom. But until then, he's left us here 
on the earth. To just be his witnesses and say, he is God. He's the only way you can be saved. He is the stone that's been prophesied all through the Old Testament. He is the one who's coming back to set up his kingdom. And if you believe in him, you'll get to be on his team, if you will, when he sets up his kingdom. And if you don't, you're going to be destroyed by him, ultimately. Oh, man, still trying to get the world power and dominance and everybody wants their side to win and all this stuff. But, but, but remember what happened to that, that, that image? The stone didn't just destroy that last one world power that's going to be made up of iron and clay. What happened to the rest of the image? All the kingdoms of men. It was totally broken into pieces and it was blown away, never to be seen again. His kingdom, when he sets it up, is going to be an everlasting kingdom that'll never, ever, ever be destroyed. By the way, I don't think you guys get it yet. That God's been showing us this all along. Go to Genesis chapter 49. I promise I'm not going to show you every prophecy piece that I know. But go to Genesis 49. Look at verses 22 through 24. As Jacob is blessing his sons, they're full of prophecy. And in Genesis 49, verses 22 through 24, Joseph, Jacob says about his son Joseph, is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by a spring. His branches run over the wall. The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him severely. Yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. So when Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar, you saw a stone cut out of a mountain, not made by human hands. This is not the first time we've seen this stone. Isaiah's already prophesied about him. Genesis had prophesied about him. Folks, if you would take the time to read the Bible, you would come to realize it all ties together and it points to who? Jesus, who is God. And he lived as a human being without sin. He died in your place and mine. He rose from the dead. We're going to celebrate that next Sunday and we can't wait. But he also, for his reasons and his purposes, said, I'm going back to the Father until this time. I'm leaving you here now as my witnesses on the earth. I'm going to give you my spirit, but you're going to have to learn how to listen to me on a daily basis and let me use you for my purposes. And in time, I'm going to come get you and take you to be with me. And then I'm going to finish everything that I said that I was going to do on the earth. And he's going to let this one world power come into power and all this stuff. The Bible says that the Antichrist won't be revealed until he who restrains that the Holy Spirit's work through the church is taken out of the way. We, we in the church have spent too much time trying to figure out who the Antichrist is going to be. You don't want to know. Because if you know who the Antichrist is, you're still here when he's revealed. And the Bible says you don't want to be here when he's revealed. So don't waste your time trying to figure out how the 10 kings are going to be. Oh, we're looking at the European Union. They got, they got 10 now. Then they got 11. Then they got 12. And then they lost a couple. Quit trying to figure it out. But believe it, that it's coming. It'll help you not have a bellyache when you see what's going on in this globe. Folks, everything is right on schedule. By the way, all that stuff that God prophesied through Daniel about the coming kingdoms, it happened. And that means everything he said about this coming one world kingdom is going to happen. But in the days of those kings who haven't yet received their power, still future. He's coming back. 
He's coming back. People nowadays, they say, man, the world's a mess. We're a day closer to Jesus coming back. The world says, we just need one world government, one new system that gets us all together. And I say, he's coming back. He's coming back. And now some might say, Jim, how do you know that this kingdom of Jesus is still future? Hasn't it begun already with Jesus in the church? You do know that his kingdom has always been. His kingdom is where he's in charge. And have we not seen from the beginning that even though he's given Satan opportunity to tempt Adam and Eve and so on and do all this stuff, who's ultimately controlling it all? God is. He's in control of it all. Do you remember how through a prophet Jeremiah we saw earlier tonight in chapter 27? God says, I'm the one who's in control of all this stuff. I made all men. I made all the animals I could. Now I give it to whomever I will. Who's controlling Nebuchadnezzar and the Medes and the Persians and Alexander the Great? Who's controlling all that? God is. Who's controlling the elections? God is. And for his purposes, he's getting everything in place. What should be our attitude, those of us who have come to the living stone? We're to abstain from the passions of this life, living for now, but to wait for who? Jesus. Wait for him to come get us. And then we'll come with him when he comes back to set up his kingdom. And the Bible says we'll rule and reign with him. It's going to be an awesome thing. Is it fun to see the world go down the tube? No. Was it easy for Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego to watch what happened to their nation? No, they were grieved by it. And we should be as well. But don't think you can stop it. If God said it, it's going to happen. Well, not if we get enough voters. You still don't get it. So yes, his kingdom is now, but not the kingdom that's being prophesied here. Because remember, in the days of those kings, and they have not received their kingdom yet. Those of us who are part of God's plan for the church age, though, are part of his coming kingdom, and we can, by his power, demonstrate his kingdom power through us. But didn't Jesus, sorry, Jesus didn't destroy the kingdoms of men in his first coming. He will in his second coming. In his first coming, he didn't come to destroy the kingdoms of men. He came to do what? He came to save. He's, when he comes again, he's going to judge. All the prophecies that John was saying, he's going to wipe out and lay his axe to the root of the trees. All that stuff's going to happen, folks. All those prophecies that the Jews thought were going to happen in his first coming that didn't, and that made them change their mind about him, they're all still going to happen. You, you do understand from our study of Revelation, and if you've never done it, go to my website, go look at the study of Revelation, you'll see it there in my Bible studies. There's coming a one world government. There's coming hailstones that are 150 pounds each. There's coming, uh, global warming, by the way, is coming during the tribulation period when the sun will scorch people and they'll want to die and they can't. There's coming demons that are going to be allowed to roam on the earth and torture people for five months. There's going to be an earthquake that happens. Oh, there's going to be a bunch of earthquakes all during that time. But there's going to be a one-world earthquake that levels all the mountains. Uh, islands are going to disappear. Everything's going to be, the whole topography of the whole earth is going to be totally changed. Israel itself and Jerusalem especially is going to be leveled. The center part, it's going to be divided into three parts. The center is going to raise up. The bottom, sorry, the north part and the south part are going to become flat. Uh, all this stuff's going to happen still. 
You know, the world is saying, man, if we can just get all of us who want to save the earth and control the planet and control the climate off, we, once we get in power, we can turn everything. Listen closely. When Job wanted to have a face-to-face -face with God, God showed up and he said, I understand you want to ask me some questions. Let me ask you a couple quick ones first, and then you can ask me whatever you want. And then God, God goes on for four chapters. And if you go back and look at what God says to Job, he pretty much says to him, and I'm going to paraphrase it for you. Uh, first off, he said, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Surely you know. And then he said this, can you control the weather? You don't believe me? You go read Job chapter 38 through 42. God literally says to Job, can you control the weather? The answer is obviously no. God says, I'm one that determines how far the seas come. I say thus far and no further. Yet isn't it interesting? Jesus said that we're of more value than the animals. Remember that in Matthew chapter, uh, chapter 6, verse 30, 36, 25 and following? Chapter 6, verse 25, he says, you're of more valuable than the birds. Yet the people that don't want to believe in God say that we're equal with, hum with humans and animals. are all the same. Maybe even animals are above us. No, we're of more value than the animals. God didn't send his son to die for the animals. But he sent his son to die for us. Yet even though the world says that man is less value than the animals... They'll give man power and glory if he can be above God. And they say, we can control the climate. God's already said you can't. But when we're gone, when the church has been removed, and the world is allowed to do things the way they want, and all us pesky Christians are out of the way and not messing up things with the ballot box and all that stuff, they're going to get their laws enforced. And they're going to have everything the way they want. And God's going to show them they have no control over the weather. They've got no control over the oceans. They've got no control over the climate during the tribulation period and reveal that he's God. And he's going to then come and set up his kingdom. So what I'm going to do in the time we have left tonight, three minutes, so be ready to go fast. And I'm going to show you three passages of scripture that show what we're to be doing. Go to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. Look at verses 11 through 13. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're not to be living for this world and for the passions of this world. We're looking for Jesus. Go to 1 Thessalonians. Back a couple of books. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. 1 Thessalonians 1, verses 9 and 10. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Go to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. Look at verses 1 through 13. Peter said, This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved, and both of them I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. 
Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers are going to come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires, they're going to say, Where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water, and by the word of God and by, that mean, by the means of these, that world then, that then existed was deluged, with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and thousand years are as one day. The Lord's not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but He's patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day the Lord's going to come. It's going to come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Now, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to His promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and new earth, in which righteousness dwells. Amen. Folks, let me just say this to you. It's going to get crazier. But that just means we're a day closer to Jesus taking us and sparing us from the wrath to come, and a day closer to Jesus coming and setting up his kingdom. I love you. We'll see you next week. Thanks for coming.